1: It is time to head out to the Toyota of Hollywood hotline. Shop hunters of Toyotas indoors in one of America's largest showrooms at Toyota of Hollywood on 441 between Hollywood and Sheridan. Thank you, Woody. It is time for Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk join to, to join us before it gets a little crazy out in Las Vegas in what should be a really good game between Kansas City and the San Francisco 49ers. Mike, good morning. How you doing? Good, Joe. I can't wait to go to Las Vegas and win a bunch of money because, <laughs> as
0: you know, the betters always win. December was a fluke. It was a fluke <laughs> when the House won $1.43 billion in yeah. Nevada for the month, the biggest haul ever. That just means it's going to balance out. The dice are going to get hot, and I'm going to be there when the
1: dice go go. And fuego, and I'm going to make a ton of money. Hey, Mike, I was laughing yesterday. You had me cracking up. Uh, I was watching you, and I, I was laughing when you said, uh, I might get a little liquored up and, and give this thing a shot. And, uh, and then you start laughing about, you realize nobody ever wins. Like They didn't build these huge buildings by accident, and uh, I was cracking up. So, sounds like your partner's ready to get you going out there one night at the blackjack table. Yeah, and I can't wait to watch him
0: hit on 18 and do other crazy things once they start plying him with vodka or whatever he drinks. But I remember going into a casino for the first time when I was 20 years old. I was probably underage and shouldn't have been in there, but that's a different issue altogether. And I just looked around and it's like, I know where all this stuff came from. And my dad, my dad was a chronic gambler who became a bookie because he realized the house always wins. And he hammered that into me when I was a kid. You can't win. I have no desire to do it. I've got the Bill Parcells disease where losing $5 hurts me more than winning 50 I just have no desire to do it. But I probably will do some of it anyway.
1: You know, Mike, it's funny because I remember you and I talking uh, about the gambling thing and how the way Roger Goodell felt about this thing at first and where he is right now. Now there's a team there. And now we have our first Super Bowl in Las Vegas, my God, we have come a long way. And the gambling issues that you talked about with uh, with the NFL. So so what are your thoughts going forward? They're, they're not going to like give up all this money, this gambling money. They're going to continue to try to crack down on players. But, Mike, the gamblers are always going to think the take is in, man. They're always going to think there's a conspiracy out there and they want certain people to win, right? In
0: 2012, the commissioner said, and I'm paraphrasing, but And actually, I think I can quote it. I've got it right here. Here's what he said. If gambling is permitted freely on sporting events, normal incidents of the game, such as bad snaps, drop passes, turnovers, penalties, and play calling inevitably will fuel speculation, distrust, and accusations of point shaving or game fixing. In other words, once we let this cat out of the bag and everybody is betting, 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 betting legally, you're going to have more people with tinfoil hats thinking that things are rigged. And when the NFL is in bed with three different sports books, when they are making a ton of money from those sports books, that gets people to say it's rigged, it's fixed, even if it isn't. And I don't think the NFL is capable. I think it's a competence issue. I don't think they're capable of engineering outcomes as a league, but I'm not ready to rule out a rogue element where somebody decides to share inside information or a nice big price and then the hooks get in deeper and the next thing you know somebody is deliberately going under his over under rushing totals for the game you know you're 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 uh 74.5 yards we got to keep you under that so fall down when you're getting close to 74 or fake an injury halfway mm. through the game there's all sorts of way and i believe that the nfl has a failure of imagination of all the things that could happen and i asked there was a press conference this week about you know all the things the NFL is doing to address problem gambling and whatnot. And I read that quote back to Jeff Miller, the head of PR with the NFL, and I said, have you seen this speculation, distrust, and accusations? Because I get it all the time. I'm at the front lines of this. People email me all the time saying the fix is in, the fix is in, the fix is in. Right. So NFL, are you seeing this, and what are you doing to stop it? And his response was just a bunch of words that really didn't tell me anything, and he never addressed whether or not they're witnessing the same feedback that I'm sure you're getting too. This idea that that the fix is in and we hear it more than ever before now that Pandora's box is open and gambling on sports is now legalized.
1: Yes, the league wants certain teams to, to advance. Yes, we, we, we hear it all every time there's a penalty and everything else. So I, I got to ask you, um, great story coming out for for uh, for frustrated teams that can't move on in the playoffs, what's going on with the Jets again and that story with the Athletic with Aaron Rodgers and the power struggle that's affected the head coach, an offensive coordinator, even the general manager. Oh, my God, Mike. Um, I don't know if it was a former coach or an active coach that said he's, he's seen enough, including Aaron Rodgers' relationship with the backup quarterback. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, I think we've all thought this was going on. He's got half his Green Bay Packers as his teammates. What were your thoughts? Well, when I first read that
0: article – And nothing against The Athletic. I've been a subscriber for several years. I didn't see anything in there I didn't already know. Right. Because we've kind of known that that's the way it is. And a lot of the quotes that were on the record were from things that were said a while ago. There really wasn't anything that was like, oh, wow, because I I asked my writers, is this something we should write something about? And we're all just kind of like, there really isn't anything here beyond what we already knew. And they did the deal with the devil with Aaron Rodgers when they brought him in. And they basically signed the team over to him. He became the most powerful guy in town. He wanted his buddy to come in and be the offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. He wanted some of his friends, Randall Cobb and and Alan Lazard and uh, Tim Boyle, to come join the team. And, you know, I think what they're going to tell him this year is that you're a great quarterback and we look forward to you playing more than four snaps but you're a crappy assistant general manager. You can have a seat at the table, but we're not doing what you tell us to do this year. Yeah. And that's one of the changes that I think they need to make, and they know they need to make it. And, and look, Rogers said this himself on McAfee's show a few weeks ago. Everybody's on the hot seat there. And I think Rogers thought that was going to be some, some big splash quote, and it wasn't because we know that. That's true. If it doesn't yeah. work this year, everybody's getting fired. They all know it going in. Ownership knows it, and let's see if they can if they can – not be a dysfunctional mess like they were this year.
1: Hey, Mike, uh, Bill Belichick, 0 for 8. I know some of the jobs he probably wasn't interested in, but there were eight jobs he didn't get any of. them. you surprised? I am on the surface, but I think when you consider,
0: and I'm always fascinated by organizational dynamics, office politics, when you have people already in place, are you going to throw the keys to Bill Belichick and let him fire whoever he wants to fire? And you got to buy out everybody in the analytics department. you got to buy out this person, buy out this person, bring in the people he trusts. He doesn't trust nearly enough people. It's that very spy versus spy military mindset dating back to when he was in Annapolis growing up when his dad was a scout to the Naval Academy. I just think that Atlanta, is the, this is the best example of it. Rich McKay and Bill Belichick were, were, you know, even though it wasn't really publicized, I think it came down to one of those two guys, and Rich McKay won. And they didn't want to upset the apple cart by bringing in Bill Belichick, who would have wanted to have nothing to do with Rich McKay. He would have wanted to run everything. And, you know, it's just the way he is. And even if you try to put guardrails up and let him just be the coach, something Robert Kraft said a few weeks ago, the idea that it, it won't work, it'll be too uncomfortable, it'll be too awkward, because we all know this is what Bill Belichick does. He's run everything in New England. So whether it's New England or anywhere else, how do you as a practical matter make him just the coach and not have him try to exert influence over the construction of the roster? So I just think that, that these teams and, – and look, it's starting to come out now that Washington – because they, they mobilized. Anytime I would whisper the possibility of Belichick there, they'd mobilize to shout it down. And there was a report from The Athletic yesterday that they did talk to him. They did consider him. Some of the decision-makers wanted him. But I think at the end of the day – You've got people who have those jobs in that structure, and they just don't want to deal with Bill Belichick coming in and just kind of taking over. Not immediately, but over time, Bill Belichick is going to take over that team, whichever team he goes to. So you've got to be ready to give him the keys the moment he walks through the door.
1: Mike, he ain't changing in his 70s. I agree. I I, I don't disagree with that. So so I want to ask you this one. We had this, Vic Fangio and Mike McDaniel one year together. What do you think they're completely different personalities. I know you know that. One's 65 and can be a grumpy and the other one's super positive every day. What uh, what's your take on what happened in that relationship after one football season? Well, this is one
0: of those that I you know, your word is your bond, but sometimes you need to go back to square one and say, "Hey, I didn't know I was going to have an opportunity in Philadelphia. This is where I'd rather be." And I think it's as simple as he wanted to go back there and Maybe they could have kept working together. They are two very different people. Sometimes that balances each other out. You get good cop, you get bad cop. And I think the Dolphins need a little more bad cop, frankly. I think they need a little more, and this is something Chris Sims said throughout the season, you just need to be a little more in your face, a little more tough and rough and tumble, and not just finesse all the time. And you need to, you know, you need to know when it's time to turn it into a street fight in a game. And, uh, I, you know, I... I don't I don't know how it plays out going forward, but I wonder if Fangio was was trying to be that bad cop and it just wasn't a good personality fit, or whether it just all comes back to he should have, in hindsight, told them when the opportunity in Philly came up. Because remember there was that week That's or right. two where it was all very vague. Right. Just should have said, you know what, I know I told you I was coming and I don't want to pull a Josh McDaniels here, but I'm going to be better off. Staying here in Philly than coming to Miami.
1: Yeah, I I, I think looking back at it, although I think he, Vic did some good things for the defense, but but uh, probably when he realized, I don't know if he knew exactly what Mike McDaniel's style was. I don't know if it was to pat him on the back and uh, I love everybody and hey, don't worry about it, you'll get him next time. For Vic Fangio, who's got some old school in him, it's a good point. So uh, you got to have some of that old school stuff. You got
0: to you got to have a. It's got to be balanced. It's got to be sprinkled yes. in. It can't be all the time. But you can't be all the time nice, and you can't be all the time a jerk. There's a balance to it. No, good point.
1: Good point there. Hey, uh, so we've been talking. It's been all morning with this Mahomes, and, and now everybody's already speeding the process up to Mahomes is has caught up to Brady somehow at age 28. What's your take? And we're going to hear it all next week, the Mahomes-Brady debate that's out there for greatness at quarterback. He's got to keep winning Super Bowls. Yes, and I don't think he's going to be denied. I think that that he's, you know, I haven't made
0: an official pick yet, but before the season started, I picked Chiefs forty nine ers in the Super Bowl, and I picked the Chiefs to win. So I'm not about to abandon ship now. The reason I believed in the Chiefs then, it's not like we went out on a limb here. They have Patrick Mahomes, and he is hyper aware of his legacy. You know, Brady did what he did, getting to seven without having anyone to chase. That's pretty impressive. Mahomes has someone to chase, and I think that makes it easier. Perry Bradshaw used to get horribly depressed after the Steelers would win a Super Bowl because I just climbed the mountain. Now what? I'm going to climb the mountain again? Well, what else is there in life? I'm just climbing this same damn mountain over and over again. Well, Mahomes is trying to climb seven mountains to catch Brady. He's got that, that carrot that he's chasing. And so I, I think that eventually he'll catch Brady by way of how we regard the two of them, but, but to be number one, clear cut, he's the greatest of all time. He's just got to get to seven. I don't know. I don't know how you become the goat. I don't know how you take it away from Brady without matching him in Super Bowl wins. And, you know, number three is nine days away, potentially. And, And just that, that fact that he's so determined to do that makes me, even more convinced that the Chiefs are going to find a way to win. And look, they'd already have three. If he wasn't injured with that toe that needed surgery in Super Bowl 55, he'd have three already, yeah. and Brady would only have six. And, and if the overtime rules were different in 2018, Brady might only have five, and Mahomes could be working on four or five of his own. It's a, When you look at what they've done since he became the starter, the fact that they've only won two Super Bowls is kind of a disappointment. They've been in it in the final four every single year. And, you know, I think this is the year they get to number three. And before you know it, it's going to be four. And before you know it, it's going to be five. And he's going to be on Brady's heels because he's only going to get better, Joe, when he gets into his 30s. And he's got a brain that becomes a supercomputer. There's nothing he hasn't seen. And he's got the physical ability. He's only going to get better over the next three, four, five, six years.
1: I got to leave you with this one. Uh, Just your – your thought, and I wasn't here on a Monday or Tuesday, but Dan Campbell, fourth and two, a fourth and a three, and even clock management at the end of the game. Uh, a lot of people said he he choked it away. And, and listen, the Lions won their first two playoff games in like 100 friggin' years. But what was your take on Dan Campbell's decisions? Well,
0: I'm not a believer in being one thing all the time. Don't be aggressive all the time. You have to know when to step back and be strategic. You have to know when to be unpredictable. I didn't have a huge problem with not kicking the field goal when they were down three points with about seven and a half minutes to go because if you make the field goal, the game's tied, and maybe the 49ers chew up the rest of the clock and go down and score and you don't have enough time to match it. The so one that bothered me, and I tell people this all the time, don't think of seven points, 14 points, 10 points, whatever. Think of scores. Right. They were up two scores. They could have gone up three scores with a 45-yard field goal on fourth and two with 22 minutes left in the game after the 49ers had kicked a field goal to turn a three-score game to a two-score game. you got to think of it in terms of scores because if you put the 49ers, if it's a wash, the first eight minutes of the second half, they scored three, we score three. We're up 17 again. We're up three scores again. they got to make up three scores in 22 minutes. That's when, and Joe, you know how this goes greater sense of urgency, right. taking chances, ball pops up in the air, up, now it's a four-score game, up, now it's a five-score game. So I think that was the biggest mistake of Dan Campbell's entire coaching career, not trying that field goal. And people have said, well, his kick, you know, they, they'll, they'll cite any statistic that they've seen anywhere that supports their argument, even if the stat is wrong. But this idea that their kicker isn't good enough to make a 45-yard field goal. Joe, when we were kids, 45 was a long field goal. Now, it's not. That's right. If you don't have a kicker to make a 45-yard field goal, you got
1: a personnel problem, not a coaching problem. 100%. Yep, the 40s are – these guys are so damn good now. You're exactly right. Mike, thank you. Have a great week in uh, Vegas. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Joe. All right. Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk. And uh, hitting a lot of different topics there. And, uh, and by the way, we're not done. Ross Tucker, CBS and uh, Westwood One. And the the, uh, Ross Tucker Football Podcast is going to join us next, so stay with us.